Welcome to Benefits, What, Like It's Hard? The podcast that breaks down the truths and misconceptions about all things benefits. Not only do we talk about what you should know about the benefits offered to you through your employer, but we also tackle topics on physical and financial wellness. I mean, come on, what more could you want from a podcast? Join me, Libby Allison, each week to hear from people just like you sharing their own experiences and experts giving us the inside scoop on the information we need to be successful. Hey, everybody. I am Amanda Hall, the Education Engagement Manager for Haran's Wealth Retirement Plan Consulting Group. And you guys have probably heard me on the podcast before. I've, I've hosted a couple episodes and I've been uh, featured on a couple episodes. But today I am joined by Matt Tarka, one of our portfolio managers from Haran Wealth Management, which is an investment advisory firm registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission and lo- located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, I got to get out all my compliance language mm-hmm. for you guys. Absolutely. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and then Matt is uh, joining us today because we are going to be talking about the markets and what has happened during 2022. So welcome, Matt. Hey, thank you so much, Amanda. I'm, I'm so glad to be on. This is Probably my favorite part of the job when I get to educate people about what's going on in markets, just kind of like you do with overall financial wellness. Uh, But to continue on our fund disclosures that we have to have, as a reminder, this podcast is for client informational purposes and not a solicitation to buy or sell any particular securities, nor to solicit entering into any business relationships. This information, again, is for your awareness and really hopefully to clarify a very confusing year of volatility. Yeah, it it was. (laughs) We had a lot happen this year. It's been a crazy year. I'm very excited to talk it through with someone um, as smart as you. So so as Matt just mentioned, we're going to be talking through what happened with the markets this year. Um, And, you know, investors, your market analyst and advisor, no matter what role you play in the investment world, it has been a very interesting year. And so, Matt, when you think back on everything that we've seen in 2022. What has left the biggest impression? Yeah. So, you know, this year has really been somewhat unprecedented. I know that word's been thrown around quite a bit lately, but truly when you look at the confluence of events that have happened this year, it's really eye-watering. Starting early in the year, we saw the dollar strengthen and inflation rise to levels that we haven't seen since the 1980s, leading to the Federal Reserve dramatically rising the effective federal funds rate and engaging in quantitative tightening to combat inflation. Then you really add on two major political rifts on top of that with the whole Russian-Ukrainian war and lockdowns that have happened on and off in China. And there have been a lot of undercurrents this year on top of all that. We had midterm elections. We had some fallout with cryptocurrencies and cryptocurrency firms. We've had tight energy supply as a result of Russian oil export restrictions and all the sanctions around there. And the list just keeps going on. Uh, (laughs) That sounds like a lot already. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, it's been it's created such a volatile environment for investors with both stocks and bonds and really just created a tremendous amount of uncertainty on what's happening around the world. Yeah. So when you put it like that, yeah, I'd say it's been unprecedented. (laughs) I think that word is justified. Um, Okay, so let's let's start with the strong dollar. You mentioned that. So what does that mean for us and for those countries around us? It sounds like we have a bit of an advantage over other countries' currencies. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So so let's level set. You know, the dollar is at its strongest rate since the about the early 2000s when you compare the value of the U.S. dollar 
broadly against foreign currencies, you know, the British pound, Japanese yen, euro, and and a couple others. The value of the dollar has really been driven up by further sentiment that the U.S. dollar is a reserve currency, which means that central banks and global financial institutions want to, and do, hold a lot of our currency, as well as the Fed raising interest rates to combat inflation. Mm -hmm. The short version is that our economy has looked healthier than those of other countries where they might be facing higher inflation than we are, might have higher debt levels, might have slower growth, may have some more economic headwinds than we've had this year, though we've had our fair share of them. You know, I kind of mentioned that before. Yeah. Strong dollar is both a good thing and a bad thing. First and foremost, if you think about, say, you're going to take a vacation to Europe, we can spend a bit more because the U.S. dollar and euro conversion is sitting about, it's about buck five, one dollar, five cents per uh, euro to one uh, U.S. dollar. Okay. That said, you know, it, it comes vice versa, too. We may not see as many foreign tourists coming here to the United States because it, it works backwards, too. They, they so, don't have as much spending power here. So that's why it's both kind of a good and a, a bad thing. Yeah, 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 on kind of the consumer front. <clears throat> uh, you know, it is cheaper for companies to import goods, though they may feel some headwinds since about, about 40% of company revenues in the S&P 500 actually come from overseas. Uh, basically, it isn't advantageous to it isn't as advantageous to sell overseas and convert back to U.S. dollars in this scenario. In the developed world, a um, a, a strong dollar paired with energy tightness that we're experiencing really seems to drive up the risk of uh, a recession overseas uh, as as their re- inflation remains elevated. You know, in emerging markets, it can be a headwind from the sense that it can be just more expensive to buy our goods or buy goods such as food, fuel, and medicine. Yeah, I can attest to that personally. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're feeling that here too. Um, inversely, a strong dollar can, you know, make international markets more attractive to invest in. Right now actually seems like a pretty attractive time in our eyes for purchasing purchasing international emerging market equities. Uh, valuations are, are really attractive after this year. And that's kind of a piece of the puzzle that our investment committee is working through lately. Okay, so you mentioned that the Fed is focusing on combating inflation. I know that inflation has been top of mind for so many people mm-hmm. this year um, with just like nearly everything. Mm-hmm. So what made inflation go up? Yeah. What and, and why does that affect interest rates so much? And I'm going to be like three questions here all at once because <laughs> it's just on my brain, but has there been inflation globally and, you know, are other country, countries following our mm-hmm. lead? Like what's going on there? Yeah. So inflation, it's become <clears throat> the conversation of dinner tables. Oh, this for year. sure. I mean, that, that was, I know at our Thanksgiving dinner that we did back in November, uh, that's pretty much what half the room was talking about was inflation. Oh, how much did the turkey cost? So it's yeah. really kind of an interesting discussion about inflation. You know, when you step back and take the COVID era, we had 2020, in 2021, where interest rates were basically zero. Think about trying to put money in your savings account. You were earning, you know, maybe nothing. 0.01%. You know, yeah. essentially nothing. Basically nothing. And I think we refinanced our mortgage for like 2.99% oh, yeah. at yeah. that time. I mean, we yeah. were just seeing mortgage rates substantially higher than that. Just, yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago. They've come down a little bit. Um, you know, it was interesting during all that. Some banks really just abandoning paying interest on savings mm-hmm. and checkings accounts. At yeah. Just 0%. Um, but then you add on a lot of fiscal stimulus, you know, just cash being injected to the system through consumers and businesses to keep everything humming along. You know, you had stimulus checks, PPP oh, yeah. loans. All of those checks that we had, yep. everybody yep. got. And then, then kind of putting the cherry on the top of it all, you had a full-blown supply, ch- supply chain crisis. And then you kind of have left where we are today now. Mm-hmm. Um, inflation started really in 2021 with it taking about 
taking off in about April. Mm -hmm. uh, but people really weren't feeling the full effect because they had a lot of stimulus. And frankly, it was still pretty cheap to use credit. Inflation went from being, you know, this, quote, transitory term, the Fed liked to use that very early on, to being a little bit stickier and running a little bit more than the Fed would have liked it to. Uh, in the early days, inflation was driven by durable goods, you know, houses, new cars, used cars. You always heard about the, the car market, you know, oh, gosh, people are trading in their cars for 20% over what they were paying for it two weeks yeah, ago. I sold my car that was 10 years old oh, yeah. and got back more than half of what I had paid for it originally. I, I had 10 a, years ago. <laughs> I was one of the people I did. I did trade my car in during COVID. Um, yeah. It was a year and a half old car. The most expensive oil change I've ever had. I'll, <laughs> I'll put it that way. Um, but yeah. I got 20% over, over sticker value. And, and you know, you look at that and it's, it's, it, it was crazy. Mm -hmm. um, so physical items were really in hot demand uh, really during that post COVID time frame. Yep. When there were still, you know, everyone hadn't spent all their stimulus checks, frankly. Um, there was just a lot of demand for stuff. Now, stepping back to where we are today, kind of putting us in today, inflation has evolved into other parts. It's, it's rent, it's energy prices, it's medical costs. We consider these points of inflation, we call them sticky, meaning they're either tougher to move up or tougher to move down. Mm -hmm. And the Federal Reserve, which, again, I, I refer to it as the Fed, but that's the U.S. Federal Reserve, they're trying to slow down inflation with policy changes. The first and probably most well-known to us and what you've heard about is rising interest rates. You've heard, right. you know, it's getting more expensive out there to use credit. Um, the effective federal funds rate, which is what I call and what we call in the industry, the Fed funds rate, is the rate that the banks charge each other for overnight loans. So as interest rates move higher, banks then pass that along to consumers through higher credit card interest rates, higher mortgage rates, and yeah. so on. Okay. Essentially, if it's easier to cheaper to if it uh, essentially if it's cheaper to borrow money, you're going to want to borrow the money instead of using cash. Um, so with higher interest rates that you might have to pay, the hope is that activity slows down and that the credit kind of slows down. As I mentioned before, the Fed was buying bonds and they were shoring up financial markets as a result of open market activity they conducted. So the Fed was going out buying bonds, shoring up their balance sheet mm -hmm. to help support the overall U.S. economy. Um, today, they're just letting those bonds mature, and they're doing what's called tapering on their balance sheet, which is allowing treasuries and government-sponsored bonds to enter back into the system, which helps keep uh, rates steadily high. As mentioned before, it, inflation is being felt around the world. In Europe, the inflation rate came in last month just above 10%, and, and we're wow. starting to see that tick down a little bit, but we still have a long way to go until yeah. we get to a lot of targets. There are a lot of central banks that are following our lead and tightening rates and unwinding their balance sheets as well. Um, I, I believe the exceptions to that, J Japan and China are kind of the only two exceptions. They're having a lot of economic headwinds right now. Um, but again, a lot of banks are following our lead. We're, we're kind of taking the taking the forefront on that. And our take is that inflation is going to slow down over the next year. Um, well, it's good to hear. But you're going to see that <laughs> you, your prices are going to still remain high, unfortunately, is, yeah. is kind of our take. Um so that, that rate will slow down, but we'll just see it kind of plateau for a while. Okay. Um, the Fed's really going to keep their foot on the metaphorical gas as it relates to interest rates until they see the direction of inflation headed down towards their long-term goal of about, it's about between 2 and 3%. Okay. Whew. Economic talk is uh, no, that was a lot. <laughs> tough to decipher, but that, I mean, that's probably the simplest yet most comprehensive way that I've heard it described. So thank you for that. Um, 
Now, I know you, you mentioned the war in Ukraine and more lockdowns in China. How has that affected the world? I I, I need you to take me down this rabbit hole. Yes, geopolitics. <laughs> this, is, this is a fun rabbit hole. You can go yes, down a lot of rabbit let's holes. Let's do it. So, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war really took the world by surprise. There was, um, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about how there were rumblings that something was going to happen, but mm-hmm. people weren't quite sure. Uh, Putin had been meeting with President Xi Jinping in China, and they had been talking about things, and there was clearly something going on there. But very few thought it was actually going to be a, a full-scale war. Yeah. Um, really, the largest effect of the war has been felt on energy prices and grain prices, interestingly enough. Russia's been a major producer hmm. of oil, and the world's pretty much just turned that spigot off, and, and rightfully so. Um, it, you know, it wasn't the start of the energy supply issues that we had, but it really magnified it in Europe, um, where they've been reliant on Russian oil and Russian energy historically. There was also kind of this brewing food crisis since Ukraine ranks among the top five global exporters of barley, corn, and wheat. Um, you know, the, that area is kind of called the breadbasket of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so for quite a few months, you know, there were concerns about global food supplies as Russia blockaded ports in Ukraine, leaving yeah. all this food just stranded there. I remember that. And um, Russia recently just actually just agreed to safe passage for ships carrying grains and fertilizers from Ukraine, which has been positive. Um, you know, they'll, they'll feel that a lot more in Europe than we will. And, and what I think, you know, what has been, I think, the most interesting result as a, as of this war has been a global shift in energy and grain markets where countries have begun to evaluate their own supply chain and who they're getting supplies from and mm-hmm. seeing where they can increase their own energy and food production and food independence and energy independence. I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, there was, there was somebody who was joking on Bloomberg the other day that people were ordering two dishwashers during the depths of COVID because, <laughs> you know, they might get one in and then they can just return the other. Um, it's kind of, it, it was kind of that theory going on with grain and energy too, was have two suppliers and hope that one of them delivers. Yeah. Um, now, you know, looking towards China, they're on and off again with their lockdowns. Uh, they're, they're just kind of coming off another set of lockdowns right now. And this has kept supply chains really severely strained. Mm-hmm. We continue to be the largest importer of Chinese goods. So when the economy essentially shuts down in China due to you know, more COVID lockdowns, we feel that here. Yeah, Think of it kind of like a membrane. Activity is expanding, right? And, and then it's contracting at a really rapid pace. They boom to make goods. They get them on you know, ships destined you know, around the world and then lock down. And then boom again and make all these goods. And it causes a lot of bottlenecks at ports because you, you're getting flooded and then you have nothing. And then you're getting flooded again. Yeah. Um, so these continued Chinese lockdowns are going to keep having an effect on our markets. as Supplies continue to be somewhat tight. Uh, it, it isn't totally dramatic, right? You can still get stuff, but maybe a little bit more expensive and may take a little bit more time. And again, you might have to order those those two dishwashers and figure out. Which, which one's going to get in sooner? Yeah. Well, and the for our last minute Christmas shoppers who are listening, you might not be able to order two day shipping on certain things right now this yeah. year. Yeah. You might have to you might have to shop a little bit before Christmas Eve. Because um, yeah, shop we, local. Shop <laughs> yes, shop small business and shop local. I'm a proponent of that. But yeah, I mean, I mean, I felt it with weird stuff. Like we've got two young kids mm-hmm. and. There's like a specific type of pacifier that my one-year-old takes Mm -hmm. and he's ready to move up to the next like size or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, I can't find that size where we used to buy it, which was just through Amazon. And I found it at Target, but it's like a two week shipping. Yep. Just weird stuff like that. Yep. You just, 
before I could just purchase it was on my doorstep that night or the next day. And now it's just like you kind of got to shop around a little more to find specific stuff. Yeah. I mean, you got to think supply chains are forward looking. They usually stock up six months in advance of an event. So yeah. Halloween candy is here in April, essentially, and already is uh, yeah. it's already in, it's already working through the system. I was seeing Valentine stuff on shelves. Yeah. It, it's, are you starting? I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Hopefully, hopefully that candy's not stale by then. Yeah. Uh, my I fiance would not be happy with that. You know, some other funny, it's a little off topic, everybody, but our other funny, like weird things that like we couldn't get our hands on. My kids are obsessed with sun chips. There was, there was like a two or three week period where we could not find sun chips anywhere. (laughs) They were on, no, I'm not kidding. We went to like multiple Kroger's and you guys, I have a toddler who's like super picky with food. And so like certain, like he, he's not going to like take on any kind of generic brand or something he wants his sun chips (laughs) and it was so but it's so funny that you said like people are buying two washing machines because it i i think i ordered like in bulk like sun when we saw them back on the shelves i was like well they don't go bad for (laughs) we had like eight bags of sun chips that we stocked up on because we didn't we didn't know if they were if we were going to have them again or whatever we had instead of a toilet paper run we had a sun chip run yeah so so we've got (laughs) we we've got um so so my fiance and I were getting married next October. Right. And so we're, we're having it at this winery and we're talking with the winery owner and they have, you know, a lot of wine that they Mm -hmm. have ready to go and ready to bottle. But the, the, a lot of these beverage industries are having problems getting glass in from France. A lot of these glass manufacturers in France, and um, so he, he was joking so with us. So are you us. buying wine by the barrel? Yeah, he was joking yeah. with us. He said, when we have our wedding, you can just come on, turn the spigot <laughs> on, and just, you know, just pick a barrel and or pick a vat, and we'll just you know start you know start what? spooning it out or something. I would love that. I, that would just feel so authentic to yeah, me. Totally. I, I say you should just go for it. <laughs> that, there's a silver lining, folks. <laughs> if you're getting married, you can now get wine by the barrel. It's probably more cost effective, too. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, okay, let's get back on topic here a little bit. So there's obviously, there's been a slew of events. Um, but yes, I would agree that those seem to be the most prominent. Could anyone have seen this stuff coming? Was there, was there anything that maybe Haran's investment committee did to prepare for like these kind of events and portfolios? I, I mean, granted, I, both of these major events seem like a surprise, right? I'm just curious, you're curious of your take on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, economic and geopolitical uncertainties are nearly impossible to predict. Yeah, I figured. Um, during <laughs> 2020 and 2021, we made calculated investments in real assets, added in a couple liquid alternative funds, and shortened the duration on our fixed income side of our portfolios. But really, we couldn't have foreseen these events bubbling through. Yeah. Uh, we generally prefer to take a long-term view on markets and investing. And depending on the investor's individual, individual investor's time horizon, their goals, their needs, we believe that time in the market is more important than timing the market itself. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Um, you know, we really expect volatility to continue even on through 2023 as, as there are still a lot of things to flush through the system. Mm-hmm. Uh, making dramatic shifts during this time, really, you can upend a long-term plan. Mm-hmm. And it can be really unnerving to look at your account. I mean, heck, I know I look at my accounts and um, I do this day in and day out and look at all these accounts and I still look at my balances and go, Oh man. Oh no. That's not pretty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, so it can be unnerving. I, I totally understand, especially yeah. when there's a lot of volatility out there, but you, you have to stay the course. You stay the course and diversify and shorten the time when everything does eventually turn around. Yeah. Um, these, 
types of markets can cause major anxiety. And every investor letter we write, we always close with this. Um, we understand that anxiety can sometimes lead to a panic, uh, for which we have three basic rules to do in a panic. Okay. Rule number Zero. one. Yep. Yeah, rule number one. Talk to your financial advisor about your concerns before you do anything. Okay. Rule number two, it's never a good idea to sell in a panic. Great rule. Rule number three, you refer back to rule number one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yes. I could not agree more. I, so I'm, I, guys, I, I, I have securities licenses. I used to be, I used to advise mm -hmm. people with their investments, right? I moved into the education side of things. Now I just like to educate people on overall financial literacy and investments and things like that. So I've got industry knowledge, right? I used to help people with their investment mm -hmm. selections. Even though I'm in the industry, I do not manage my own accounts because I'm emotionally tied to the money mm -hmm. that I have worked hard to earn, mm -hmm. right? So even people in the industry, I, I farm out my investing. I have a trusted advisor, mm -hmm. right? Somebody I work with, I trust. They understand my needs. They understand our goals. And they help keep me from getting emotional mm -hmm. about, my, about any kind of volatility in my accounts. And, and you know, fortunately, I'm going to work, I'd say, another 30 years at minimum, right? I'm younger. And so, you know, I, I might not have as much anxiety and panic as someone who's closer to retirement oh, right now. Yeah. So I would say even you're younger like me, you guys, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s and I'm calling myself young. So just... It, for anybody out there, <laughs> 21 at heart, you're We're always still young, 21 at heart. <laughs> but you know, e whether you're nearing retirement, you're just starting out. It doesn't matter. You're still going to have that anxiety when it's like you're having these balanced fluctuations. I cannot say this enough, like find some way that you can trust that you can work with that can help you stay the course. It's so important. It doesn't, I don't care if you're a CFO or <laughs> you're just starting out an entry level position. Mm -hmm. You need somebody that you can trust that can help you stay the course long-term, who can help you see the big picture for sure. So there's my little plug on this. I, I'm a huge proponent, but thank you so much for joining me today, Matt. This was so insightful. I feel like we should do this every year. I think we should. Think every we should year we should do an end of year recap Absolutely. and talk through all this stuff. It's so interesting. So thank you. Hey, thank you for having me on. I've had a great time. Please remember that this podcast was strictly for educational purposes only and should not be considered a solicitation, um, nor should you take it as tax or legal advice. Also, you can find more educational resources available on our Twitter and Instagram, so be sure to follow us at Haran1948. And if you could subscribe to our podcast, we would love that also, and you'll get notified whenever we have new episodes. Thanks for listening. See you next time.